everybody. Uh, welcome to... Take five? Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but the show you all know and love at this point, all four of you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I they... think that's about right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, uh, they did... What? They did... What? They did... What? I don't even need to add to that one this week. That was... The exasperation was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm Rhiannon. I'm still Mitch. Yes, uh, that hasn't changed. And today we are looking at The Mystery of Mallory and Irvine. Which sounds like a trashy romance novel, if Ooh. you know nothing about it. <laughs> but it is very, very much not. Uh, so these are two men who were climbing Everest in 1924 and didn't come back down. Which nowadays is still as mystifying and likely to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I watched a number of documentaries um, in preparation for this and, you know, they're going up a mountain looking for their bodies and they're passing so many modern bodies. Isn't there a modern body that's now used as, like, a waypoint? There's a number of them. Yeah, like, um, oh, good, we're near Red Boots. We only have six more hours to go today. Green Boots. Oh, it's actually... Like, yes. <laughs> okay, that was a joke. <laughs> nope, there is. His name is... He's called Green Boots by Climbers. Although I do believe he's one of the bodies that um, disappeared recently. Oh. Um, believe the authorities probably went up and pushed a few off the mountain. <laughs> that sounds bad, but oh. the thing about bodies on Everest is they double in weight. Ah, uh, okay. Because um, the body's frozen in size. All right. In size. The body's frozen, uh, so they get very heavy... A lot of the bodies are in the death zone, which is above 8,000 meters. Right. And just retrieving those bodies, you can someone else can die. Yeah. So it's, it's not worth it. Push them off the mountain. Got it. Yeah. Just because, yeah, the amount of bodies up there was getting a bit high. Yeah. I, I really want to, if we don't cover it today, talk about Fangoon. The, um, it's one of the spots that um, Brian Blessed actually stopped at when he okay. did Everest mm. um, and it's the largest outhouse in the world Ooh. and it's on Everest and if you fall you fall you're into gone. yeah oh. generations of it oh. oh okay that does sound like something to cover yeah week. <laughs> I think that's something we need to cover <laughs> so uh, let's go into Mallory and Irvine so yes let's <laughs> Mallory was 37 at the time of this climb Okay. In 1924, just to cover that again. He was a college professor, very intelligent man. He had served at the Somme. Okay. Yeah. Which right. I think is important when you're talking about Mallory. Yeah. That he'd been there at a battle, for those who don't know, three million people served. Over a million were injured or died. Yeah. It's casualty statistics that are rather off the charts. Yeah. Even for World War One. Yeah. And so he survived the Somme comes back he wanted to be involved more in um international politics ends up in this expedition to everest and this number of them i'll get into that um partially because he is a very very good climber okay like he'd done a number of climbs that other people were like he's just brilliant he's going at such speeds that we can't match um but it was also very hard on these expeditions to find men of his age who knew how to climb because so of world war one Okay. So many young, fit men had either died or had never had the chance to climb. Right. And so here you have this man who can climb. 
and is a good age because uh, when they go on their first expedition in 1921, a number of the men were over 50. Oh. And Mallory was very concerned about that. Okay, because when you started and you were like, he's 37, I was like, okay, so is he going to be one of the older ones? And now you're pointing out like, no, this is our young buck uh-huh. adventurer. Well, he's 34 on the 21 climb. Okay. So that his first trip to Everest, he's only 34. That's right. Reverse math, I'm not very good at. <laughs> also known as subtraction, now that I remember that word. <laughs> Reverse math. Rewriting the syllabus. Uh, now, Andrew Irvine, or Sandy Irvine, that was his nickname. Mm-hmm. He was 22. In, okay. On the twenty on the 1924 climb, he didn't go to the earlier expeditions. He was only on the final trip. He was not a climber, to be clear. Okay. He was an experiment um, by the older men on the trip. To, to, to see if the, the new generation could handle it? <laughs> to see if he'd cope better with the altitude. Oh, They wanted okay. to see if a younger man would actually deal better with that than some of them were. <laughs> Very much a... You there! Come with us. We're going to see if you yeah. breathe better where there's no oxygen. Come on. <laughs> um, and he was a really, really great sportsman. Like, he was in the rowing teams. He had been to the Arctic with one of the other men on the 24 expedition. Okay. And that's the reason he got invited along, because this man saw him on the Arctic expedition. He's like, he's great. Let's bring him. <laughs> he can deal with cold. He'll be fine. <laughs> and he also had great engineering skills. So he was an engineering student. Okay. When he was 15, he sent off this idea for a design to the war office. Um, to keep their guns like going, the automatic guns going at fifteen, oh. and the war office noticed him. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's impressive enough in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> like... um, so yeah, very very impressive young man. Um, so the eighth of June in nineteen twenty four is their final attempt at the summit. Okay. It's the day that they disappear. Okay. So it's Mallory's third attempt at this point to get to, to the, the summit. summit. Right. So in 1921 was the first expedition to Everest, or Chomolungma, as the Tibetans called it. Mm-hmm. Call it. <laughs> um, and they're going from the north side. Okay. So today, most climbers go from the south side. It's yeah. known as the easier route. But in the 1920s, Nepal is not letting foreigners in. Um, they're like, nope, you're not allowed into our country. Yeah. Not for us. Even Tibet took a lot of conversations between um, the British and India government and the Tibetans okay. to get them in there. That's so alien for the modern concept of what it is to do Everest. Yes. Like, at this point, it is just like, oh, it's actually doing something of note. It's mm. not millionaire extreme sports. Yes. That's the thing. Which is what it is now. Yeah, like, I'm in love with this period of Everest. Right. I would never want to climb Everest myself nowadays. I think it is just people doing it for the sake of it and people dying. <laughs> yeah. But what D- they were doing back then... Dying for an Instagram post. Yeah. And then um, being used as a marker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the thing about, yeah, north side access, much more difficult. Not that they know that. Right. Because they they're not even going near the south side. Um, they established their base camp in 1921 at 5,000 metres. Okay. Now, they're not aiming to summit on the 1921 expedition. They're just charting it. They're looking at how you could get up the mountain, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, sort of surveying. Yeah, sort of... it was a surveying mission. That's part right. of how they got into, okay. cool. <laughs> into the area. They took some Indian surveyors, all that. Uh, so in 1922, they went for their first climb. Right. And 
there was a man brought on this trip who I think is important. His name was George Finch. He mm-hmm. was an Australian. And he was a big proponent of oxygen. So he brings oxygen with him. Oh, okay. So he's like, guys, we need to breathe up there. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about that? Now, the thing is, though, this is the 1920s, and everyone else is like, oxygen's unsportsmanlike. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need oxygen to climb I, I say, you're breathing, that's cheating. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're trying without it. Oh, boy. Yeah. So Mallory and the first guys he climbed with made it to 8,225 metres without oxygen. Oh, boy. Like, the stuff they're doing is insane. Because some people do do it. They have tried to set records. There's been a few people who have climbed to the summit without. Why would you do that to yourself? Because they want to set the new records. I get it, but if someone's already done it, don't do it again. (laughs) You got there too late. Um... So Finch, Bruce, and a man called Tejbia, who was oh, a Gurkha. Oh, his name was Bruce. Oh. There were two Bruces on the 1922 oh. trip. We don't play the stereotypes, do we? Last name Bruce, of course. You know, this is... I'm talking about the English. I'm was referring phil- to everyone by last name. Was he a philosophy professor as well? I don't believe so, no. Okay. Just, there's a lot of Bruces in the philosophy department of the uh, oh. University of Australia. Oh. So um, the, the two Bruces, there's the older Bruce who's actually in charge of the mission. Mm-hmm. And the younger Bruce, his nephew, who actually goes up the mountain, um, they go up with oxygen. Now, Tejbia stopped at 7,925 metres because he didn't have clothes to cope with the wind. That, that's the only reason. Yes. Like, he was... Wind chill. He was fucking freezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I feel is important to note, like... This is a Gurkha who's never climbed mountains. A lot of the men on this mission, so the porters they're bringing along... Mm. They're taught mountaineering skills by the English climbers. Okay, that's not the direction you'd think information would be flowing. Well, they're not climbing mountains, like... Okay, so it's Sherpas before the Sherpas that we consider nowadays. Um, And it's very interesting because Bruce treats them as part of the team. Right. So there are Sherpas, there are other porters as well. Mm. He treats them as part of the team, gives them equal status. A lot of the other Englishmen don't. Right. Um, and Mallory noted that this, and he wasn't a fan of the way some of the men were treating them as servants. Ah, okay. Um, which I think is important to note about Mallory, that he was a bit like, um, these guys are climbing the mountain with us, guys. <laughs> yeah. They're not here to buff your shoes. Yes. Oh, boy. Um, so Finch and Bruce make it up to 8,325 metres. I like that everyone's stopping at 25s. It's just <laughs> Yeah, it is a bit odd, isn't it? Um, and they only stopped because Bruce's equipment started failing. Okay. And Finch looked at him and thought, well, no, we can't keep going. Right. So they go back down. So they're doing really well, these first climbs. Yeah. Um, there was also, on Mallory's, climb, one of his climbs in that second expedition, uh, there was an avalanche that killed a number of the porters. Oh, yeah. it's no good. It was, like, quite bad. Yeah. It was, like, seven or nine who died. Jeez. Um, yet, even so, Mallory's climb was lauded when they got back to England. Not Finch's, because Finch used oxygen. Even though all these people died on Mallory's climb. I, I love that that's the way they're seeing it. Like, no, you used oxygen. That's cheating. You killed some natives. Mm. And as the British before 19... 
99. <laughs> We're going to say that that's okay. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't think that did sit well with Mallory, as it I don't shouldn't think have. It would have, no. Um, After the last, like, him not being okay with them being treated yes. as servants. That's... Yeah. Um, and especially because the, the guys who are going up with them, Bruce had recognized some of them had better coping skills at higher altitudes. Okay. Um, better breathing abilities, same as a lot of modern Sherpas do. Oh, so like a more heavily oxygenated blood supply. Yeah. Um, he called them his tigers. Okay. Um, Do you and... think that's what he was referencing when, you know, Sheen said he had tiger blood? Like the ability to breathe at higher altitudes? <laughs> just, a, just a reference to something that happened in our lifetime, but that many people may have already forgotten about. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the 1922 expedition. Okay. 23, they don't go. They don't have the funding, all that kind of stuff. Now, 24, this is the expedition that we're focusing on here. Yeah. Now that I've given us the background. Yes. <laughs> the 12 minutes of background. <laughs> That's going to be really weird when you edit out sections of this and you say 12 <laughs> minutes and it's at nine. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> um, so Finch was not invited on the 24 expedition because he was Australian. <laughs> and the British of course. were like, we know he's a good climber. We don't want the Australian to reach the summit first. <laughs> we can't let... The convict get to the top before the empire. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Finch is just straight oh, up boy. not invited. Mallory's not happy about this. The the royal family themselves mm. had to call him to convince him to go because he was oh, like, "I'm not going if Finch wow. isn't going." So that's King George. I'm not sure if it was the king himself. Okay, it oh, says but the it, royal family. Okay, so a member of the royal family or someone from their staff. Yeah. Yeah. I would just love that idea, like Her Majesty now calling up someone <laughs> and going, look, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to do it. It's for king and country. <laughs> I say it because it's, you know, <laughs> tradition. It's for me. Do it for me. <laughs> um, Although that's actually not so strange because, um, as I've mentioned Brian Blessed before on his treks up and down the mountain, Her Majesty calls him oh. on his personal phone. He calls her Knuckles because oh. she const constantly punches him in the shoulder to remind him to be behaved and he's too old to be climbing mountains <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, so actually, yeah, the, the royal family calling British members who climb the mountain <laughs> apparently hasn't stopped. Yeah, and it, it is important to the royal family and to the British government at the time because the Brits hadn't been the first to reach the South Pole. The Brits mm. hadn't been the first to reach the North Pole, mm. and they consider Everest to be the third pole, the highest point of the world. Right. So the Brits really want to be up there first. Is there much competition at this point? No. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, like, the Americans are probably sitting in the wings being like, <laughs> right, we're going to do it. We're going to get there first. <laughs> but the problem is I don't think they're able to get into Tibet. I think... That's, that's highly amusing to me, then. <laughs> <laughs> the Brits have the ability to go through... India oh, at the time. Oh, India? Okay, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, which all changes later, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, there was another man who was also going to be on the expedition who had been um, a descent, not a dissenter, to the war. He was a... Oh, conscientious dissenter. That's it. Yep. A conscientious dissenter. A bunch of the men were like, no, nah, we're not going if you bring this man along. Mm. Because they were all, you know, war vets. Yeah. 
And World War One really changed the concept of what it was to be a veteran and what it was to be someone who dissented with the war. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it like before that, it was acceptable to not be a veteran mm. of a war in her Majesty, his or her Majesty's empire, because it was just like, well, you had other things that you were doing. But World War One, with the full mobilization of industrialized warfare, like, mm. yeah, that that concept of, well, no, it's not okay that you stayed home. You know, this many people went off and never came home and you didn't want to go because you didn't feel up to it. I can understand that, like, from a historical point at least, mm. that that was their problem with him. Yeah. That yeah. one's using oxygen, that one's from Australia, and that one didn't fight. Yeah. And so he, he pulls out because he's like, okay, look, if they don't want me there, I'm not going. So the porters had much more of a role in this 24 expedition because of what Bruce had realised on that earlier expedition. Oh, that they were able to sort of deal with it a bit better? Yeah, they could achieve good heights um, and they picked up mountaineering very quickly. Oh, well, there you go. Um, and as a side note to that, this change between the 1922 to the 24 expedition later leads to those equal partnerships of like Tenzing and Hillary. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and then to the current professional client relationship. Yes. Where the Sherpas are the much more experienced climbers <laughs> who are saying, don't do yeah. that. Yeah, the only reason you're living is because of the Sherpa now. Yes, yes. Um, we might have just had some weird background noise, guys. Sorry, I think someone's having some fun in their yard. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> someone's got the hose. Mm. Oh, the hose, of course. <laughs> and if you didn't hear it, this will make no sense. Mm. <laughs> um, so, the other thing about this expedition is the weather is not great. Like, it's a bad year weather-wise. Oh, okay. Um, so, going up Everest, you really have to watch the weather because you want to go after the snow, but mm. before the monsoon season. Right, yes. Because um, when climbing without yeah. oxygen, those are the other things you have to worry about. <laughs> and the 100 to 150 kilometer an hour winds at the top. Yep, that's... No. Which, no, I'm good, no. I haven't mentioned this, but these guys are climbing in tweed suits. <laughs> that's fantastic. Like, they don't have modern climbing gear. They do... Oh. They are, like... They're warm enough. Not really for a mountain like Everest. No. But no wonder one of them was like, no, I don't have the right coat for this. I'm going mm. to go back down. <laughs> Let me get my overcoat. I'll be right back. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, Tweed. Yep. And they got hobnail boots. Oh, hobnail boots. Those will conquer an empire for you. <laughs> Um, I mean, they literally do with the Romans. But. Yes, <laughs> we'll get to that one. <laughs> so on June 1st, Mallory and Bruce went for the summit. Okay. Again, this is the younger Bruce. Right. Bruce the younger. Yeah. Just to confuse our Scottish audience. Um, and they take nine porters with them. Now, four of the porters turned back before Camp 5 was established. Okay. Um, again, things like being cold. There's lots of reasons why they're like, we're stopping here. Yeah. And like, these guys aren't, the porters aren't in it for the glory. No. They're just getting paid to yeah. go up a mountain. Yeah. And it's that mountain. Yeah. So I just think that's important to note. Um, the guys who are going for the summit as well are carrying less gear in general. They're trying to keep them really strong for... Oh, like modern climbers do, you leave a lot of it behind for the final descent, uh, ascent. Not even that, like just as they're walking through Tibet to get to the mountain and establishing the camps, yeah. they'll be carrying much less and the porters will be carrying more for them. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Not so... even like how they carry their own gear today. 
Okay. They're really just like, we need to keep you fit. We need to keep you ready for oh, this ascent. Oh, okay. Mm. Now, they were going to also establish Camp 6 the next morning, but a further por- three porters uh, said they wouldn't climb any higher. Okay, so that's seven so far, is it? Yep. Good, I can do forward math, <laughs> just not the reverse. So that's the end of their first ascent. Okay. Because they can't yeah. um, establish it. So on June 4th, which is three days later, mm. Somerville and Norton go for the summit. So they're two of the other men on okay. the expedition. Interesting men, I'm not going to go into them though. We've got enough to cover here. <laughs> <laughs> they established Camp 6 with their porters. Okay. So we've got uh, yeah. five and six now. Yeah. And today you don't have these camps. Like where camp five is today is about camp two. Like it's it's a different... Yeah. Well, we're going system. from a different slope as well. It's... Even on the north face, yeah. there are still um, advanced base camp and it's only up to camp three. Okay. But they're going up to camp, camp six. We're also going up with oxygen most of the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Norton reached 8,572 metres without oxygen. Oh, he didn't go for the 25. He went for 72. I'm a little disappointed in him. Before he turns back. Okay. Now this air record, so highest height without oxygen, mm. wasn't broken until 1978. That's kind of impressive. Yeah. Everything these men are doing on this trip, I think, is quite impressive. Because oh. they're doing it all without knowing, like... They don't know there's a death zone. They don't know what happens when you're at that height to your oh, body. Yeah. Like, it's all new to them. Which is just... Yeah. It really is... You can understand why they call For it For those of you wondering pole. what that strange noise was, that was Rhiannon doing the, you know, universe exploding my mind <laughs> meme. Um, <laughs> Physically. And just to be clear, so his height record, the elevation of Everest, the highest point, is 8,848 metres. Right. So he's only... 300 metres below the summit. Oh. It's still a lot. There's a lot that happens that, at those that's top. That's a lot, but, like, you imagine 300 metres as a walking distance on a flat, mm. and you can see that easily. Um, and the other thing I mentioned is it's only Norton up there. So, Somerville had actually stopped a bit earlier. He wasn't feeling great. Okay. Today, you don't leave your climbing, buddy. No. This is not the case back then. If they see a chance for the summit, they'll say, you wait here, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's important to note because I'll come back to it with one of the theories about Mallory and Irvine. Okay. So. Do love me a good conspiracy. <laughs> um, officially, the height record that Norton reached wasn't broken until 1952 mm-hmm. by Raymond Lambert and Tenzing Norgay. Okay. Uh, that is the Tenzing Norgay who climbed with Hillary. Right. Those of you <laughs> wondering what that now is, um, that is a. We're actually recording this very close to the Lunar New Year, mm. um, and I think today is the final Ooh. day of it. Those are firecrackers going <laughs> off in a country where they're illegal. <laughs> yes, we Pre- have bushfires. <laughs> yeah, preceding pre- it is summer as well here, mm. so fire. Yeah, firecrackers uh, in bushfire season. That's always intelligent to do. Mm. It's gonna be really <laughs> awkward if we don't release this episode for like. <laughs> two months and it's like it's summer <laughs> it'll be summer by that point in the northern hemisphere and they'll just be really confused as they to will. why the lunar festival is celebrated during june <laughs> and july over there <laughs> um oh and that height record that uh tenzing and raymond reached that's mm. on the south side too oh okay so they reached the same height back there over there okay now norton comes back down to somerville 
as they're descending, Somerville almost dies. Okay. So he'd stop because he felt like he couldn't breathe. Fair enough. Because <laughs> he couldn't. Yes. Really. Um, he had a blockage in his throat. Oh. And the last thing he tried was he like squeezed himself in and like coughed this thing up. It was the mucous membrane lining his throat. Oh no. It had been frostbitten. Oh no, 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 so, no. Yeah, he literally coughed it up. Oh no, da, 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 da. And you, I, had, you had problem <laughs> with the Draga episode, but as someone who's had a number of like lung and throat infections in their life, because I'm predisposed to them, like, no, that's a nightmare. I just, I have to mention this because I feel like it's easy when we're not there to think, why didn't they just do this thing? Why didn't they just go higher? Yeah, I'm why coughing so up portions of my throat. Yeah, I just want to be clear. This is oh. so dangerous. Like, there is oh, no. so much that can go wrong. Um, I'm worried so, I'm not yeah. going to be able to swallow my water now. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, when they do get back to their camp, Norton ended up slow. S- sorry, Pick Norton. <laughs> Norton ended up snow blind for sixty hours because he'd oh, been taking his goggles good. on and off. Yeah. Um, and for those who don't know, you do need to be wearing uh, snow goggles on Everest because the snow is so white it can blind you. Yeah. Oh, these are the ones that. <clears throat> are these are the ones based on the almost the Inuit design as well, where it's like shell and just a small slit cut through them, so you're looking no, for a I much believe, smaller aperture. I believe they have the um. Also, oh, it's the tempered glass yes. and like treated one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are apparently not as effective at the time. Mm. The tortoiseshell kind that you see the Inuit wearing for a significant portion, where it's just a thin slit cut through them, so they look like just blackout blindfolds, oh. apparently work a lot better because it allows some level of light, but also for you to realize when the light is getting too high. Oh, uh, yeah, no, the pictures I've seen look like uh, swimming like, goggles. Oh, okay. Like goggles. Mm. Goggles, goggles. Goggle, goggles. Goggles, <laughs> 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 Um. So, yes, yeah, so that's their attempt. Now, they had only planned two attempts. Okay. Mallory's, so everyone's going yeah. off book at this point. So, two attempts on that trip. So that oh, was the okay. two they planned. Yeah. Yeah. It was Mallory and Bruce, and then Somerville and Norton. Okay. Um, now, Mallory had indicated before this trip that he felt he might not return. Just a side note. And he was okay. obsessed with Everest, as are a lot of people who climb it. Yeah. Like, you don't climb it because you're like, oh... But one of his quotes when someone said, why Everest, is because it's there. Yes, I actually know that yes. one. I just didn't know it was his. I, that's why I wanted to mention it, because I think a lot of people know that quote. Yeah. It's Mallory who says that. Okay. So he says, guys, I want to make one final attempt on the summit. Mm-hmm. He can't take Norton or Somerville. They're both out for the count. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Norton literally has to be carried down the mountain by porters, because he can't see. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, now, he could take Odell who is the next most experienced climber on this trip. Right. But he decides to take Irvine. Okay. The guy who has not climbed before this. But he's done pretty well. Two of them are getting along quite well. Um, Mallory thinks he's, you know, he's a broad guy. He's strong. He'll be great. I'm hearing a lot of they were very close friends. (laughs) I don't think there was anything like that. (laughs) Don't think that happens on Everest. I think you're too busy trying to stay alive. (laughs) Huddle for warmth. Not that kind of warmth, Irving. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But the other reason he takes Irvine is he's quite skilled with the oxygen equipment. Okay. He wants his engineering skills. Right. And after having watched Finch's climb in 22, mm. Mallory's changed his mind about oxygen. And it's he clearly thinks, necessary. Yeah, he thinks it might be the only way to make the summit. Right. 
So that's why most people believe he took Irvine. Because Odell doesn't know how to deal with the oxygen equipment. Okay. So when they make their ascent, Odell is their support climber. That means he's like at the camp below them, cleaning up camp after them, following them up and down the mountain. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really cool when you're reading about what Odell's doing. You're like, so you're going up to the camp, then you're going down to the camp. It's like, what? <laughs> so he's doing more distance on yeah. the mountain, but they're getting to the top. Yeah. There's that small part of you that's like, no, I'm going to get the steps in, but I'm going to get the steps in my way. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going to get the steps in before you get them in. Um, so they're heading up the Northeast Ridge, which is today considered the most difficult route to climb Everest. I mean, if you're going to be the first, do it the hardest way. And of course, this route has not yet been tried, obviously. <laughs> really? <laughs> I know. Who would have thought? No, no one had been climbing that for a couple of decades. <laughs> so now I'm going to go into some theories about their climb. Okay. Because, as I said, they didn't descend. So we're outside... What's known. What is known, and we're into what is speculated. Yes. Okay. Um, and I will go into some evidence for some of these theories. Right. But I want to save that for later. Definitely. it's so fascinating, the stuff they've found. Um, Rhiannon looks like she just found a puppy that's bringing her chocolate. That's the look on her face. She's ready to get into this. This is one of the moments in history that fascinates me the most. Like, I don't want to climb Everest, but I would love to fund expeditions to find... I won't tell you what yet, but there is something that still needs to be found from this mission. Okay. So, we know that they were at Camp 6. Mm. They set up camp the night before their final ascent, and at Camp 6 is at 8,163 metres. Oh, boy. So, to be clear, they are in the death zone. Yeah. Um, and it's called the death zone because at that altitude, your body is dying. Yes. You are not getting enough oxygen. You're struggling to sleep. Your body is struggling to digest. Like, your body is just dying. I you enjoyed, can't say that too long. I enjoyed the emphasis. <laughs> your body is failing to digest. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, they sent their Sherpa guides back down to Camp 5. So it's just the two of them sleeping there the night. Can't have them stealing the glory. <laughs> yeah, you do see that kind of stuff happening. <laughs> yep. Um... Now, one of the things is they... Mallory had written to the guys down below. So, to be clear with the stuff he's writing, there's Noel Odell. Right. And there's another man whose last name is Noel. Right. So he writes to Odell and he writes to Noel and he's writing to the two different guys. He's not writing everything to Odell. Right. And he tells them he plans to set off at sunrise or before sunrise. Okay. Which is at 4.45am. And that comes into right. some of the theories... Um, to make the summit, a lot of people nowadays set off at midnight. Oh, okay. So that they're coming, yeah, they make the summit and then they're coming down in the daylight. Okay. <clears throat> so, one of their air cylinders, called Cylinder 9, was found in 1999 on the first step. So, from Camp 6, there's three steps to the summit. Okay. And they're not, they're not like as a little step. They're like, you can see them from further down the mountain, they look like a step. Oh, Okay. So it's the shape of the mountain yes. more than steppy steps. Yes. <laughs> um, and back then they only recognised two steps. They kind of counted step three as part of step two. Okay. Like a little bit on the top. Right. Which you wouldn't realise until you got closer that it's its own step. So we know that they were at... Step one. Step one. Because they've discarded an empty cylinder of air. Okay. So that was, that was going to be my question was... Did it look like it was empty? Yes. Yeah. They've definitely discarded it at that point. Okay, cool. 
Um, we haven't found their other cylinders. Oh. Now, because we're coming to the theories, some people think they took five cylinders of air. Right. Um, Mallory had originally said they were going to take two or three. Okay. I should double check so, that. I'm so, putting a note in there. So, so no one does math. Everyone's <laughs> counting differently. <laughs> well, he says he's going to take a certain amount, but then there's some other stuff that can indicate they took more. Okay. Right. Um, now, the theories I'm going into are made by climbers, and I think that is important because right. these are people who've done the mountain. Oh, okay. So, you know what I mean? like, it, it's it, easy to speculate. Right. So, we're doing it from experience yes. coupled with understanding the story yes. for these theories. Exactly. So, this theory that I'm starting with um, it's written uh, by Philip Summers and AJ Dandeker. Okay. Um, just so people know that's where I've gotten this from. So. They think that based on uh, rate of airflow, all of that, they've reached the first step between 9 and 10 a.m., having okay. set out at 4.45. Oh, okay. Right. They also, we also know each cylinder of air weighed approximately 3.6 kilograms. Okay. So eight pounds. Um, and they, they, they strongly believe they had five between them, with Irvine likely carrying three cylinders of air, mm-hmm. plus his sleeping bag. Right. Um, and potentially also Mallory's sleeping bag. Um, and because bags they were going to need a nap? I'll get to that. that. This is part of their theory that oh, why they have sleeping bags. Okay. We know that Irvine, um, as well as being an engineering guy, he was also... He thought about a lot of things. So at one point he actually constructed a rope bridge to help the porters move easier, lower down the mountain. Okay. Which no one else had thought to do. Yeah. He's like, hey guys, what if I just put this here? It'll make the job easier. <laughs> so we know he thought ahead. Clearly. He also, um, when Odell goes to Camp 6, I need to double check that I wrote that thing there. When Odell um, checks one of the tents, he, there's a lot of air equipment strewn around, mm-hmm. which some people think indicates there were issues with the air. Right. Other people think that it was Irvine tinkering, making sure he had the best setup. Okay. Because he also grabbed a mouthpiece from another air thing lower down, like a spare. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. So we went up with contingencies. Yes, that's that's one of the main theories about Irvine. Okay. Because he was doing that, which is smart. So yeah, likely Irvine was carrying more. Mallory was only carrying two, mm-hmm. so that he was lighter to go higher. Okay. Right. Um, either way, they're both carrying more than 10 kilograms of gear. Okay. Back then, they wouldn't even have the Sherpas um, carry that much at the higher altitudes. Yeah. They were trying to keep it are under about eight kilos. Right. Okay. Oh, gee, that's light. Yeah, they only have one day's food rations as well when they go up. Oh. My God. <laughs> um, and when they were at Camp Five, they'd accidentally knocked their um, little camp stove off the mountain or down the mountain. Of course. Which means they of, couldn't of make course. water. Oh no. I just want to be clear. Like they're hungry. Probably dehydrated. And they've never seen Bear Grylls before, so they <laughs> don't know where else they can get water. <laughs> um, and they have probably haven't slept well, because well, of how high they are. Yeah. Oh, it yes. It would have been a bad night's sleep. Yeah. Um, so modern climbers take around 2.5 hours to climb from the first to the second step. Okay. With oxygen. Um, and the thing about oxygen, it doubles your climbing speed. Okay. Just, just so we're aware of that. So it's nitrous for climbers. <laughs> it's very important. Um, so assuming Mallory and Irvine took the same route as modern climbers, mm-hmm. route for our American listeners, um, 
And it seems unlikely they could climb faster when they're setting a new route um, and it wasn't established in any sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to make a joke that I can see it on your face. <laughs> um, they can't. No. <laughs> they have no idea what my face looks like. Then they would have been low on oxygen by the time they reached the second step. Oh, okay. So here comes the second step problem. Right. And it's called the problem because Odell sees them at 12.50 p.m. Oh. He is standing at about 8,000 metres and he's looking up and the clouds part for a bit and he can see two small figures. He sees one walking and then he sees the other join them. Okay. So, to quote Odell, there was a sudden clearing in the atmosphere and the entire summit ridge and final peak of Everest was unveiled. My eyes became fixed on one tiny black spot silhouetted on a small snow crest beneath a rock step in the ridge. The black spot moved. Another black spot became apparent and moved up to join the other one on the crest. The first then approached the great rock step and shortly emerged at the top. The second did likewise. Then the whole fascinating vision vanished, enveloped in cloud once more. Ooh. So, people have argued about where he saw them since yeah. 1924. Because the second step is one of the most difficult points on the climb. Okay. The final section of the second step is a vertical climb. Right. Today, there's a ladder. Back then, not so much. Yeah. Um, and if there is, there's bigger questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, Odell's initial opinion was that the two climbers had reached the base of the second step. Um, he was concerned they seemed to be about five hours behind schedule. Right. Because, yeah, I'll get to that. Um, so in 1975, that ladder was placed mm. for the five meter vertical climb. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Now, there is a section next to it where you could potentially climb up it, you know, bouldering style climbing. Yeah. Um, if he had like smashed, not smashed, <laughs> he'd stuck his um, ice axe in, used it as a foot step and then gotten up and oh, okay. then used a rope, his rope to get Irvine up. Right. People argue about this because they've rated this climb as an 8-9. And they think that Mallory was an 8-8. Eight, eight. Right. Okay. What does that mean? Just the climbing um, skill level. Okay. And as, it's like... As, as someone who likes to keep their feet on the ground <laughs> and not climb things, that... that yeah. Yeah. Um, I think even people who aren't professional climbers will struggle with that because climbing gyms use their own grading systems everywhere. Oh, okay. They're like, we use 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Other ones are like, we go to 25. Oh, good. That's, that's helpful. <laughs> we use colours. <laughs> this is the synesthesia climbing gym mm -hmm. this one is blue but smells of carrot <laughs> um, you know I have issues with that because it's like had he done anything on this 8-9 level before that people could actually say he couldn't climb it right um, and someone who went looking for them in 2019 okay, looked very at it recently. Yes, um, looked at it and thought he could potentially have done that Especially with the amount of determination that man had. Yeah. He's going to get the summit if yeah. it kills him. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, that last part of the climb was seen as so formidable that officially it wasn't done until 1960 by Chinese climbers. Oh, wow. Because by that point, the Chinese were on that side of the mountain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not going into that today. That's not today's no. episode. Um <laughs> 
So yes, um, I've gone through that. One of the things Odell says, it looks like they were climbing with alacracity. Okay. So, you know, quite fast. Yeah. They're going quite fast, in his opinion. Using our SAT words. <laughs> um, and I watched a video last night, actually. I was sitting up at 11, 11.30 at night watching this video from another climber, uh, Michael Tracy, on okay. YouTube. And he's taken video, uh, not videos, he's taken photos of all these points where he think Odell was standing based on the words he was using about the snow, where the snow was, what he could see. He's pointing out all these points. Right. Um, and again, he's been up this side of the mountain. Okay. He's going off his own personal experience. Again, I think it's really important when you're looking at something like Everest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he stood in two places that he thought could match up with where Odell stood. Now, in one of those places, he wouldn't even be able to see the first step. He wouldn't oh. be able to see the second and the third. Okay. Um, in the other spot, depending, he might not. it might still be obscured. So Odell's initial report also said that he believed they would reach the summit at 4pm. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, now this would only make sense if they're at the top of the second step about to reach the third. Yeah. Like that's not going to happen if he sees them at the first step. It's so far away. Yeah. Um, he was also sure originally, this is Odell, right. that Mallory had beaten Norton's altitude record. Oh. And if that's the case, then he's not on the first step. He's... He's further up. He's further probably up. at the third step. Um, and Odell even acknowledged he probably couldn't see the first step. So... It's a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas. Yes. In his... And the thing with Odell, so this man, uh, Michael Tracy, went off Odell's first report in the newspaper mm. because people kept questioning him and so he started questioning himself as well. Okay. You know, they're like, how could you have seen that? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, they couldn't... Yeah. yeah. So... Fair point to go back to the very first thing he says yeah. before he starts questioning his own mind. Mm. Um, and that thing about them moving so fast, it really only makes sense if they are walking from the top of the second step to the third step. Because it's like 250 metres of not quite flat, but... But not exactly vertical. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incline, but mm. it, there's no, nothing on it. Oh, okay. There's nothing to climb over. You, could, you do walk along that point. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I I am of the opinion they made this summit. I should say that now. So, I am very strongly looking towards that side of the evidence. Right. <laughs> um, I know other people strongly believe they didn't make the summit. Yeah. But, yeah. Just to be clear, guys, you know, we all have biases that affect how we look at things. <laughs> and how we tell our stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, don't take my word as gospel on this. So. Gospel according to Rhiannon. Removed. Oh God, <laughs> Removed during the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> we'll get to that story. <laughs> that concludes part one of The Mystery of Mallory and Irvine. Please tune in to part two to hear the rest of the story. the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.